wonderful time of the year in the Methodist Church, charge conference season. And if you don't know that I'm being sarcastic, you haven't been a United Methodist long enough. <laughs> but we've got a few meetings. So first of all, next week after church, we're having our finance committee meeting to talk to discuss our budget. Um, hold on a second. Okay, so next week, if you're sitting on our finance committee, please uh, make an effort to be there uh, next week after church for us to discuss our budget. Uh, we're going to have, uh, we're going to meet over lunch and have, have a good discussion on that. Secondly, our lay leadership committee is meeting September 29th, uh, I believe that's a Wednesday, and we're going to meet in the evening at 6.30 to go over our lay leadership committee things and talk about what our committees are going to look like. Nextly, we're going to have a church council meeting on October 10th to vote on all of our charge conference paperwork. And then, uh, and then charge conference itself will be November 14th at um, a different church. I forgot what church it's at. Uh, it, is in the, um, it is in the newsletter this week. We will keep publishing that. It's at Richmond Hill, thank you. At Richmond Hill UMC at four o'clock in the afternoon. So uh, if you sit on any of those committees, please uh, make an effort to be at those meetings. Uh, it's the important business of our church that we need to get uh, taken care of. Anything else we need to announce? Yeah, Della. And on that note, if you are not on a committee and you want to be on one, please let Matt know. Please. It's so hard to get people to serve. Yes. Uh, serving on a committee sounds like it's boring work, but it's not. It's important work for the church, and it can be exciting, too. And, um, yeah, please pray about what committees you'd like to serve on because, um, yeah, we, we need you. All right, anybody else? Yeah, Garrett. Just a reminder, we have homecoming coming up on October 17th. Yes, thank you. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, after the service, um, if you would like to purchase a book, he does give a lot back to the church. It's $20 a book. If you want to bring $20 that day and purchase a book, you sure can. Uh, but he'll explain to you there in some way. He gives it back to the church. So I'll let him well, that's amazing. Yeah, so make an effort to come to Homecoming October 17th, and uh, Tommy Hunter will be there, and he uh, will have his children's book. Uh, that's amazing. Thank you for that reminder. All right, anything else? Well, let's go to God in prayer. God, you have blessed us in, by showing up for us in worship today. Your Holy Spirit is here, and you have anointed each of us by, by gracing us with your presence. So God, show up for us in worship. Help us to show up for you. Let us give our best selves to you in the coming hours so that we might lift your name up high. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Our opening song this morning is going to be uh, Bless the Lord, 10,000 Reasons, and Lisa's going to lead us. So uh, I want to invite you to stand and sing. It's all in, in your bulletin. If you don't know the words, it's in your bulletin.
to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life, man. Please be seated. All right, we are coming now to our time of prayer. And uh, so who do we need to pray for this morning? Everybody, I heard. Amen. Yeah, Donna. Absolutely. Absolutely. We will be praying. Carrie. Yeah, yeah let's be in prayer for the Brinson family and the loss of, uh, of Gary. Gary. Yeah, Ruth. You're right, Ruth. We'll pray for everybody who's struggling with COVID. That's right. Lisa, did you ever end up? What? And their families, yes. Keeping me straight. Yeah, Chrissy.
Absolutely, we will do that. Yeah. The Toronto family and the James family. Did the family of Lisa Lancaster, who died this week, Lisa Mingle North Lancaster? Yeah, Nancy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Bill came home, Bill Strickland came home from rehab this week, and so Pat's moving into that role of caregiver. So uh, absolutely, let's be in prayer for Pat, Pat and Bill. Anybody else? Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Lord, you are rich in love, and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. And God, we lift up these qualities of you and we seek to emulate these qualities in ourselves. And as we remember your greatness and your kindness and your goodness and your patience with us, God, we pray that you will be all of these things and more to those who are suffering, who are sick, who are lonely, and who are mourning. We pray for Donna as she's traveling. God, keep her safe and keep her well. And God, we pray a blessing over her work in Honduras as she spreads your word and provides your care to, to vulnerable people. God, we pray for all those who are mourning for the Brinson family and the Toronto family and the James family and Lisa Lancaster's family. God, it feels like we are bombarded with loss and grief all around us. So God, we pray that you will be our comforter and you will be our, our steady guide through these days of grief and loss. Spirit, show up for those who need you. We do pray for those who are sick with COVID and for their families. Father, be a healer. God, we pray for Chrissy's cousin that you will watch over her and the baby and that you will provide a miracle for them. Show them a way. And God, we pray for the Strickland family for Pat and Bill. God, go show them your mercy. Give them strength and patience. And God, lift them up. Now we pray for all of the unspoken requests, all of the needs that are felt that just haven't been mentioned. Be who you are, show up for us in ways that only you can. Do what only you can do in our lives and in this world right now so that we may look back during this time and say, Jesus had us in the palm of his hand. He was there with us the whole time. We pray all these things in your son's name by praying the prayer that your Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to invite you to open up in your hymnal to page 738. We're going to, we're going to rehearse. Yes. Oh, that's right. You're right. God, be with Kathy as she is mourning the loss of her father. Be with her family as they go through this difficult time in the funeral. Just hold them close. Amen. You're right. I'm sorry. I should have thought of that too. Um, let's read Psalm 1 together. I'll read the parts that are not in bold, and you'll read the parts that are in bold back to me. Blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on God's law they meditate day and night. They're like trees planted by streams of water that yield their fruit in season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This time, I want to invite our ushers to come forward as we take up our offerings. Let's go back to God in prayer. God, inspire us. Inspire us to be givers. Inspire us to be generous. Inspire us to give to the work of this church and the work of your kingdom throughout our conference. Bless this offering and bless those who give. In your name I pray. Amen.
because of COVID, we haven't been having children's moment lately, but Ruth Stout asked to have children's moment. So let's have children's moment. Kids, come on down. All right, kids, today in Big Church, we're going to talk about rules. Who loves rules? Raise your hand. Oh, my gosh. So the more rules, the better, right? You love following all the rules, and every time there's a new rule, you're like, yes, a new rule to follow. No. No? So rules have their place, but, like, you don't like extra rules, right? No, no extra rules. No extra rules? No Because I love making up rules for my kids. I love just saying, okay, there's a new rule now. Nobody gets, I don't know, my candy. I like buying candy for myself. And I like a rule that not my kids can't touch my candy. And I like to take a nap. And I like to make a rule that no kids can come wake me up during my nap. And I, I love making rules, but not, rules aren't that fun to follow, are they? No. A lot of time people think about Christianity as following a bunch of rules, right? There's all these rules that you can't do. You can't steal. You can't lie. You can't cheat. And some people don't like that about Christianity. But God gives us those rules on purpose. People talk, uh, when I was a kid, I learned about this. When is a train most free? Right? When it's on the tracks. If a train is on tracks, it can go anywhere it wants to. But what happens when a train goes off the tracks? It crashes. It stops. It can't go anywhere. God's rules for us are like train tracks. If we stay on the tracks, we can go anywhere we want. But when we go off the tracks, we start to crash. God's people have the most freedom when we stay on God's tracks. When we think, if a train conductor said, I just want to go wherever I want to, and went off the tracks, well, that would just lead to disaster. So, our lives are better when we follow God's rules, because those are the tracks that God designed for us to have. And let's remember that when we're following God's rules, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that these kids will follow your rules because they are the best thing for them. And give us the grace to do the same. In your name I pray. Amen. Alright, y'all actually go back and sit with your parents. Or wherever you were sitting before. And so we're, we're 
trucking along with Colossians chapter 3. We're just going to go straight into the scriptures this morning. So here's what Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17 says. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are with uh, seek, seek the, the things, things that, that are, are above, above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are ways that you have once also followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, ones, holy and beloved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I've never known a bigger marketing bait and switch, another a, a, a bigger untruth in advertising than Outback Steakhouse. Remember back a few years ago, Outback had the slogan, no rules, just right. That's not their slogan anymore, and I can imagine why. It's because there are, in fact, rules at the Outback Steakhouse, right? You can't go into the Outback Steakhouse and grab a blooming onion off of someone else's table and just go and eat it, right? That's against the rules. You gotta pay for your own blooming onion. You can't go into Outback Steakhouse and order alcohol if you're under 21. The rule is they only serve to people that are over 21. You can't go into the Outback Steakhouse without pants on. They'll kick you out. There are, in fact, rules at the Outback Steakhouse. And you got to know that some smart aleck went in there and acted a fool. And when they tried to correct him, he said, I thought there were no rules just right at the Outback Steakhouse. You know that that has happened time after time. And you got to believe that the managers went up to the corporate and said, you got to change the slogan, man. You can't do it. We have to have rules at the Outback Steakhouse. It's a kind of a bait and switch, right? Well, after last week's scripture, where Paul kind of said, 
you kind of felt almost like Paul was saying, guys, come be a Christian because it's no rules just right. Right? He said, don't let anybody judge you based on your on, on the, the festivals or the feasts that you weave. Don't let anybody say, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They're simply human commands and teachings. And so it kind of feels after that, that part of the passage that Paul is saying, anything goes, baby. Come be a Christian. You can eat what you want, touch what you want, handle what you want, whatever. And then he gives us this bait and switch right away. In chapter 3, where he says, oh, by the way, here's a list of things you can't do. No fornication, no impurity, no evil desire, no greed. You can't get angry. You can't slander. You can't have malice. You can't use abusive language. Good luck. It kind of feels like you, you went into this life where, oh, yeah, there's this freedom in Christ. There's this freedom and new life, and we get to, to be free. And then he saddles us with a bunch of rules right away. But I don't think that's what Paul is really doing here. C.S. Lewis described a spirituality that focuses on all the things that we can't do. He called that negative spirituality. And it's the kind of spirituality that believes that the most important spiritual thing a person can do is lock themselves away, cloister themselves off from the world, and fast and pray all the time, and not go out and live your life. And negative spirituality can feel like a spiritual bait and switch where God says, I'm going to give you abundant life, but... Here's all the rules. Here's all the things you can't do. Deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. Don't do anything fun ever. And that's the, the picture that a lot of people have of Christians, man, that, that you can't do anything fun ever. That you've got to live by all these rules that you're settled down with. But I don't think that Paul is trying to describe negative spirituality in this passage. I don't think he's trying to saddle us with a bunch of rules. Instead, I think what Paul is doing is that he's teaching us to reimagine what we think the good life can be. Right? Because the world, the world as in, you know, the sinful fallen world, looks at this list of rules that we've got, and, and it's almost like he's telling us that we can't live the good life according to, to the world standards because almost everything that the world sees as the good life is on this no-no list from Paul. Like as according to the world, a vision of the good life is that you get to indulge yourself sexually as much as you want, satisfy every desire that comes into your brain. You get to do that. That's the good life, man. Get, get to do whatever you want. Get as much money as you can. Let your desire go unchecked and fulfill every single thing that comes into your noggin. When somebody offends you or implies that maybe you shouldn't have anything that you want, then you get to rail against them. You get to get angry. You get to malign them. You get to cancel them. You get to slander them and glory in your own self-righteousness. That is the vision of the good life that the world gives us. Do whatever you want, fulfill whatever desire you have, get as much as you can, and if someone gets in your way, 
then you are justified to get as angry as you want, as slanderous as you want, and as, as you get to take them down a peg. Right? That's how the world views the good life. Everything I can get for me, and I guess a few people that are close to me, and then everybody else can just deal with their own stuff. But I think the world deals with the good life almost like a pyramid scheme. You guys know what a pyramid scheme is, right? I kind of have a little illustration in your bullets and if you want to follow along. A pyramid scheme is something that was popular in like the 70s and is popular today too, where you get someone to give you money and then you give a portion of that money to someone else. And so it's like, if I get 10 people to give me $100 each, then I get $1,000. And I give 100 of those dollars to the person above me. And if everybody just does that, then the people at the top of the pyramid get super rich. The people in the middle of the pyramid get pretty rich. And don't worry about those old people at the bottom of the pyramid. They can get someone to give them $100 a piece, 10 people to give them $100 a piece, and then they'll be okay. But the problem with the pyramid scheme is that there's always a bottom level of the pyramid. Mathematically, a pyramid scheme can only work 13 levels before it encompasses every single living person on planet Earth. 13 levels of 10 people give you $100 a piece before everybody is covered. And so there is somebody that gets left holding the bag. There is somebody that gives 100 of their dollars to another person and then does not have 10 people to give them $100. That's how it works. And, and there are businesses structured on this thing where they're just preying on the people that get left holding products that they paid for and everybody up the line gets a commission for, but they don't get the commission because they don't have anybody to do that. And then the market's so saturated they can't sell their whatever makeup to anyone. Don't want to offend. I'm sorry. But that's what a pyramid scheme is. Earthly gratification, the good life that the world promises us is a pyramid scheme of gratification, right? If, if you're indulging every fleshly uh, desire that comes your way, there are other partners in your life that get hurt and left behind. There are children that get born without families that have to fend for themselves. There are spouses that get left behind and ultimately you might get as, as fulfilled as you want, but there's a trail of people that are hurt and left behind. There's someone holding the bag. If you're greedy and you, you, you get all the greed that you want, if you get all the, the money that you could possibly have, there's someone who has given you that money that no longer has it. There's someone that can't pay their rent this month because they haven't been paid enough. You might be sitting at the top of that pyramid, but there's someone else that does not have that resource because you took it. If you indulge your anger and, and lash out at people that are against you, there is someone that, that <laughs> gets left struggling that had to take the brunt of that anger so that you could express yourself and feel better. Go down the list 
of all of the things, all the rules that Paul says not to do here. And, and you realize that if you live where you're satisfying all of these selfish desires in yourself, there is someone down the line who's hurting because of it. And so the, the earthly view of the good life is that, sure, there's this pyramid of gratification, but I'm going to get as close to the top as that pyramid as I can and not worry about all the people underneath me. But when we have a new life in Christ, our idea of the good life changes. And I think that's what he is getting at here. He is saying, forget this old idea of the good life. That is not the good life. The good life is the destruction of the pyramid. The good life means that we care for everybody. We want everybody to experience the good life. We want everybody to be fulfilled in Christ. We want everybody to have some kind of satisfaction in their life. We no longer seek to be at the top. We want to dismantle the pyramid. And the only way that we can dismantle the pyramid is by intentionally going lower on the pyramid of self-gratification. It's by loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's by giving up some of our self-gratification so that someone else can have it. It's by being generous with our money. It's by being faithful with our bodies. It's by being kind and forgiving with our words. But that doesn't mean that the Christian life is all about asceticism. It's not all about self-denial, although self-denial is an important part of what it means to be in Christ. But discipleship isn't all about what we can't do. It's about living the good life that Christ gives us. It's about living thankfully with what we have and, and inviting other people into that too. So that means while we can't go and gratify all of our lustful desires everywhere we want, we can enjoy a happy marital relationship. We can have gratification. We just can't go do anything we want. We can't be greedy and take and take and take and take. But guess what? We can have our daily bread and be grateful for it and enjoy the flavor of it and, and enjoy the things that we've been given. We can forgive other people when they mess up. But guess what? Maybe that means that the next time you mess up, someone will forgive you. And I love this idea of forgiveness because that means that everything's not going to be perfect in the good life in the Christian world, at least not this side of heaven. The, the, the very fact that forgiveness is a thing means that someone is going to sin against you. There's got to be something to forgive. It presumes that not everybody's going to be perfect, that not everybody is going to not hurt you. But when it happens, we forgive and that way, the next time I hurt someone, maybe they'll forgive me too. I kind of, I made a list in your bulletin of these things, about, about the things that Paul says not to do, these rules that we're supposed to follow, and then the things that he prescribes instead. So look at these two lists. 
one side, there's sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. On the other side, there's compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, forbearance, peace, and love. Which side would you rather live in? Which one sounds like the good life to you? I know which column looks like the good life to me. It's the one on the right. It's the one that Paul prescribes to us. But the thing is, I can't live in a world with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness unless I am willing to go first in that. I can't expect everybody around me to have compassion and kindness and then me be the person that goes off and only looks out for myself. I can't expect the whole world around me to have gentleness and patience and then me go off and be angry and slanderous and malicious. That's not how it works. If I want to live in the kind of world that is like the column on the right, then I have to be the leader in going first in compassion, going first in kindness, giving up my right to be angry and malicious and slanderous all the time, giving up my greed, giving up my evil desires, giving up my lust and impurity and immorality. I've got to be the one that goes first. I can't expect the world to get better around me and not be a part of that solution myself. I think what Paul is doing here is he's changing our idea in Christ. Our idea of the good life is different. The good life is no longer about how much of my own desires I can fulfill. It's about how much I can contribute to a world where compassion and kindness rule the day. How much I can contribute to the world where the wisdom of God is in my heart and I'm singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs it's not about rule following it's about changing our idea of what the good life means to be in line with God's idea of what the good life is so I don't know where you've been today maybe you've had in your mind a negative spirituality, that faith is all about following the rules. That the best thing we can do is just cloister ourselves off and pray. And since I'm not that spiritual, since I can't manage to make myself do that, then the spiritual life just isn't for me. That's not God's vision of the, the good life. God's vision of the good life is being grateful for what you've been given, enjoying the gifts that God has given you, and not seeking to go outside of that. Or maybe you are still stuck in this pyramid scheme of self of self gratification. Maybe you think that the good life is getting as much as you can and not having to worry about other folks. That's not the good life. Someone's left holding the bag at the end of the day. And you know what? It's probably going to be you. Because no matter how high you climb on that pyramid, there's someone else who's climbing over the top of you and leaving you holding the bag too. So let's escape that pyramid. 
Let's escape negative spirituality and live the good life that Christ promised us. A life full of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness. Not because we have to follow the rules, but, but that's what the good life that he created us to live is. Let's go to God in prayer. Jesus, show us the good life. Help us to imagine what you have for us. Imagine the kind of thriving we can have if we can be people of compassion and humility. Spirit, show us that, that this race to the top is a poison for our spiritual lives, but God, it's a poison for our lives in general. Help us to join you in a race to the bottom, a race to humility, a race to put others first. And when we do that, God, open up our minds to appreciate what we've been given, to enjoy the simple pleasures of the good life that you created us for. God, help us to live a life that's not about following rules, but is about putting others first. In your name I pray. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is hymn number 467, Trust and Obey. I want to invite you to stand and sing with me.
So go now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, trusting and obeying and being happy in Jesus in the good life. Amen.